Let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, grab them, get them ready. I want to take us into a series of teaching about hearing God's voice. Um, how many enjoyed David Mitchell for the last five weeks? Yeah, so fun. Um, I personally think he could read the telephone book and it would still sound cool. Uh, I, I would love it if I clicked on Wikipedia, if it was his voice describing the page, I'd be far more interested. And so I don't usually teach in series. I like to teach through the scriptures, and the reason is really simple. When I was youth pastoring, I first started, I would legitimately crawl under my desk on Tuesday, crying out to the Lord, what do you want me to share with these kids? What do you want me to share with these kids? And the Lord just whispered to me at that time, I gave you a whole book full of stuff, just pick a place. (laughs) And that works for me because then I don't have to wonder. I just need to systematically go through it. And that's awesome, and I love that. Uh, I don't have anything against series, it's just not the way I love to teach. And so all that to say, I don't think there's a better time to try to step into a series than after somebody hits it out of the park like David did. So um, I'm going to take us into a series of things that I feel like the Lord's been dealing with me on for us as a family, really about hearing his voice. How many remember 2020? Okay, sidebar, a little bit of a joke. I actually thought about, for Christmas Eve gatherings last year, I told the team I thought we should get a giant dumpster, spray paint 2020 on it, and light it on fire, and have that be out front. Um, the, the, the team, didn't, they thought I was joking, I think. I, I was using it as a way we could have coffee and stuff outside with warmth, but um, we didn't do that. But 2020 is a year that all of us remember was probably going to mark our lives as a very significant year. What happens, though, if on March 7th, if I could have told you, hey, in the next three to five days, the stock market's going to drop 26% of its total value. That's your moment to buy in. Write it out. On the 27th of August, go ahead and sell it. You're going to make a killing. Wouldn't that have been a great stock tip? Or if, you're, if you like to have fun with your friends and you like to bet on, on sports, if I'd have said in, in 19 to you, hey, guess what? Brady's leaving New England. He's going to Tampa Bay and they're going to win the Super Bowl. Go ahead. Bet all your friends. See what they're going to say. Wouldn't that have been a great tip? Knowing things ahead of time is is what we refer to as intel. Knowing things that maybe aren't commonly known is intel. Why do I share that? Because I think it deals with hearing the voice of God. I think it deals with something that's available to us in Scripture. And if we go back to the early church, there's a moment in the book of Acts where Peter is um, walking down the street and there's a guy on the side of the, the street and he says, um, can you give me some money? And Peter looks at him and says, I don't have any money. I don't have silver. I don't have gold. But I'll give you what I possess in the name of Jesus. Rise up. And he heals him. What's important there for me is that I think that there's a different authority when we give away what we know, when we give away what we've experienced. Chris Vallotton, who's a prophetic voice out of Bethel, has a quote that I love, and his quote is, a man with experience trumps a man with an argument. In other words, I'd love to know what you've proven you know, not what you think you know. How many have met somebody like that? A man with experience trumps a man with an argument. Why do I say all that? In my life, I would say one of the most important things that the Lord has taught me is about hearing his voice. It's one of the things that is, it's, I, could, I could give up this role, no problem, but I would never give up his voice. And he, I just want to take a couple weeks and share my journey, what I've learned from him, if that's okay. Just to give you some of the things that I feel like he's taught me about this. Why? Because my goal is that all of us would be people that hear God's voice 
clearly. I don't just want to talk about hearing God's voice. I really want to talk about what I think the scriptures teach as an opportunity to talk with God and what it looks like to build that encounter. What does it look like to actually build that encounter in your life? What does it look like for you to step into that opportunity to talk with God? I don't want to just talk about it. I don't want to just share my experience because it'd be easy for you to say, that's just how you're wired. That's your thing. I want to look at the scriptures and, and, and build a case for it. I think it is clearly the revelation of scripture that every believer was intended to walk in this journey, hearing the voice of God regularly. And that concept for me has kind of been the jumping off point of my life. Jesus makes a statement that I think is super important. My sheep hear my voice. In our culture right now, it's often considered a mystical thing. Like, yeah, oh, that's kind of weird, it's mystical. This isn't mystical and weird. It's throughout the scriptures, the reality. And I think that there is, is this intel idea available to us as the people of God. And I want to lead us into a journey about what it looks like to build that encounter. So we're going to start in Psalm 25, if you have your Bibles. We're going to take a look at Psalm 25. And we're going to look at verse 14, which says, friendship with the Lord. Say that word, friendship. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. And with them, he shares the secrets of his covenant. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him, and with them he shares the secrets of his covenant. This word friendship here is the, the root definition is counsel, but it's the idea of intimate communication or advice. If we look at the Hebrew, it's a pictorial language. The word picture for, for this friendship phrase is actually a couch, which is an, when, I, when I studied that, I thought that was odd. It's a couch. The reason it's a couch is in this culture at this time, there's not a ton of noise going on outside at night. It's a very quiet neighborhood. And the idea of friends sitting down to talk is they would sit close to each other and they would talk in a, in a, in a, in a more whispered tone. That's this word here. It's the idea of sitting down and having an intimate, quiet conversation. Friendship with the Lord so let's make sure we understand what we're talking about is not how to become good friends. We're talking about how to build friendship with God. Friendship with the Lord is reserved. This word means set apart. We need to consider it like a doorway. It means it's been set into a place where there's an access point. It's set apart. It's, it's withheld from the masses and it's preserved for a few. So who is it preserved for? Those who would fear him. This word fear means to revere. Now, I, I greatly dislike the way it comes across in the English, because most of us will, will get confused in our lifetime about what fear is, and we start to lean into the idea of, oh, it means I'm supposed to be afraid of God. That is absolutely not what this is about. It literally means to live with his agenda as yours. It's the idea of being so overwhelmed by someone, by who they are, by, their, by, by the, the magnanimousness of them, that, that you naturally want to choose their agenda instead of your own. So friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him, and with them he shares the secrets of his covenant. This word shares here is, is to release what has been learned by experience. It means he's giving away what he knows. And with them he shares the secrets of his covenant. I love this phrase. Secrets of his covenant means greater revelation through covenant. It's the idea of gaining information what we cannot know outside of the relationship because of the relationship. 
How many would say part of marriage is you get to know your spouse differently than other people do? Some for good, some for bad. We understand the concept in the natural. In the natural, the concept is intimacy reveals knowledge. But what is being talked about by the psalmist here is that this friendship with the Lord is actually an access point for unique information that's not available outside of that relationship. I don't know how you're wired, but the way I'm wired, I I like advantage. I like leverage. And what the psalmist is saying here is there are things available in your relationship with the Lord that you cannot get outside of it. And the doorway to get there is the fear of the Lord. There's unique intelligence and information available from him that's not available anywhere else. Wow, if I could just get us to buy into that idea. There's no other place you can get this information except from him. Because I think we live in a, a, a time and a season where a lot of the church believes that you can learn everything you need to learn through academics. You can learn everything you need to learn through life experience. What I'm saying is the people of God, in my opinion, were always intended to be a people that heard from him, lived from him. His voice actually trumped everything around them. Does it mean we throw that stuff away? No, not at all. It means we just have this beautiful advantage. We have intel that we can add to what we already possess. Okay, I want to jump over to Exodus 33. I want to take a look at what is said of Moses. Inside the tent of meeting, in verse 11, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, stayed behind in the tent of meeting. This phrase, tent of meeting, how many are familiar with that phrase? Great, so many of us. The tent of meeting is, a, is an important concept for us to understand because it's a concept that comes up in the Old Testament. The, what's important for us to understand about it is that the tent of meeting was God's idea. God directed Moses to build the tent of meeting. Why? Any thoughts? Fellowship? Simple answer, not rocket science. Place to meet. God told Moses to build the tent of meeting because God wanted to meet with man. This word meet is the idea of panim. It means to be face to face. And it says inside the tent of meeting, this phrase inside the tent of meeting is important because it highlights that the tent of meeting was to be entered, not just appreciated. It was to be an experience I would say it this way, the value of the tent was in the meeting, not the potential of the meeting. And a lot of us live with this mindset that we know there's an opportunity to meet with God, but we don't really take advantage of it. Can I just say there's no value in not utilizing the meeting? It says, the Lord would speak to Moses. This phrase will come up throughout the scriptures. Uh, Pastor Dustin and I were, were doing a query to f- try to figure out how many times it comes up in just a couple books, and, and we found so many examples that the simplest answer was it comes up hundreds of times in the Old Testament, this concept. There will be those that will argue it's not an audible voice that God speaks with. Great, that's awesome. It misses the point entirely. The point throughout the scriptures is that God communicates with man, and there are hundreds of references to God communicating. 
The idea that God speaks. And some of us have mistakenly assumed that the scriptures are the only way God's going to speak to us. And I'm saying this scripture is amazing. I love it. It is to have your life built upon it. But it has never been intended to take the place of a personal encounter with him. Now, I said that once at a church I worked for. It was not Pastor Gary, so don't wonder. And the the pastor said to me, that's because you're a worship guy. You worship guys are all about the spirit. So I thought about it and went, yeah, no, that's not it. It's because it's what the Bible teaches. And it says that in Exodus 33, the way God communicated with Moses is in a friendship way. It's intimate. It's close. The root word in the Hebrew is ponium. It's the idea of if I take, let's go to Bindle. Let's go over to Bindle Coffee and let's grab a table. Let's sit face to face. Let's have a conversation. That is ponium. It is this close, intimate friendship. It's direct. It's one-to-one. It is not the idea of an existential God talking to a large group of people. It is intimate, face-to-face knowledge. And I love this phrase, Joshua, son of Nun, stayed behind. Because some will argue that what we're looking at here in Exodus 33 is unique to Moses. It's a mosaic encounter. Moses is one of a kind. There's never been another like him. We know the scriptures teach there's never been another like Moses. He's the first of the apostles. Great. But they would argue that this intimate face-to-face thing is something Moses had that no one else had. The problem I have with that is Proverbs doesn't, Psalms doesn't support that because it says friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him and with them he shares the secrets of his covenant. What it kind of says is there's a blanket invitation to the people of God. If they want to know God, friendship is available. Fear the Lord is how you get there. But Joshua, son of Nun, staying behind is important for me because it says this. It debunks the idea that it could be Moses only because Joshua stayed behind to begin to develop his own encounter with God. And that tells me that that encounter is available to us. It's not unique to him. So I think these two passages teach us three simple things. There is a God-ordained, such an important word, a God-ordained. It means it was his idea, lifestyle of living in communication with him. And there are secrets call them intel, available in that place that you can't get anywhere else. And every man, woman, and child is invited into this lifestyle. What have I learned trying to step into this lifestyle? What I have learned that I want to give away are what I would call fundamental movements. Anybody play sports ever? You realize there's some fundamentals. There's some things you have to learn to be able to, to do the task. Whether it's music or whether it's athletics or any, any skill set we want to appropriate, there's some fundamentals, some basic movements that if we do those, they, they prepare us to be successful in whatever said field it is. In basketball, how many understand if you grab the ball and run down the court, that's not okay? What do you have to fundamentally learn how to do? You got to learn how to dribble, and then you, the next moment is you have to learn how to not just dribble standing still, but you have, to learn how to have, you have to learn how to dribble and move. How many have ever not played soccer and then tried to kick a soccer ball and realized, whoa, that's a lot harder than I thought it was? How many watch golf and go, what a lazy man's sport? And then you go out to play golf, and you're like, how could I be so bad at just hitting this tiny little thing in any direction other than that way? Because there's fundamentals necessary. Basic movements that lead us to success. 
So I want to share with you what I think are four simple, fundamental movements that will help each of us to develop and step into this encounter. They don't earn an encounter. I want to dispel all of that. They, they, set, they position us to develop an encounter. Some of you have, have, the first thing you need to do, it's not even a fundamental, is you need to repent of bad thinking. Some of you have said, I can't hear God. If you have ever said that, you have to repent of that phrase. Because what you have just said is Jesus is a liar. Because he said, my sheep hear my voice. I mean it. I'm dead serious. You have to repent of that phrase. You have to tell him, I have said I can't hear you and that's not right. You're welcome to say, I haven't learned how to hear you yet. That's totally accurate. Let's do a living example. Taylor's holding little baby back there. That child's going to learn how to speak. How is that child going to learn how to speak? By being around language. Dad's going to talk. Words are going to make sense over time. Right now, it's just a joyful noise. (laughs) The way you learn how to talk to God is by getting in the environment where God is speaking. And you learn to pick up language. I go back through my prayer journal. We're going to do some super simple, basic, like I'm going to teach you my journey, my process. And I'm going to teach it to you for one reason. It works. And a man with experience trumps a man with an argument. But I go back to my early days, and it's laughable. How, how embryonic what I was hearing was. What I love is the Lord is so gracious and kind, he never made fun of me for not getting it all right. He never mocked me because I was missing stuff. Because he's the God that ordained the tent of meeting, and it was his desire to speak. It was his desire to be heard. Maybe we say it that way. So some fundamental movements that we can make, four of them, we're going to go through them in the next however long it takes us. Let his fear govern you, number one. This is the first fundamental movement we can all begin to appropriate. Let his fear govern you. Number two, learn to talk to him. Number three, determine to study him. And number four, commit to loving him. We're going to flesh out what these movements look like. The first one I want to look at with the rest of our time is let his fear govern you. See, friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. We already established that intimacy with God is available to man. That's what we see the text teaching. And that intimacy is not just conceptual. It's actually a face-to-face encounter with God. And it is accessible to those who would fear the Lord. I would say it this way. The fear of the Lord is the first movement we have to make before we make any other movements. Proverbs will say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the birthplace. It's the origin of stepping into the wisdom of God. We talked about this word, yare, in Hebrew, the fear, and, and, and the conundrum we have trying to understand is, am I afraid of him? It's not what it means. The easiest way to understand it is to say this, care more for what matters to him than what matters to you. That is what it means to fear the Lord, to begin to care more for what matters to him than what matters to you. If we were going to put it in a real world situation, it means that you and I become unwilling to live our lives in any way that displeases him. It means what matters to him now trumps what matters to me. I don't know how many, I'm just going to keep saying that until we get it. What matters to him matters more than what matters to me. 
means my opinions whew, and how I feel about things are now laid down and I begin to prefer what he says. It means my ambitions are now subject to his dreams for me. You say, well, I have plans. Great, love it. So does he. I can't force you to chase the plan of God for your life. I can promise you, you're not gonna get there just by doing your own thing. And it means that the fear of the Lord means I'm gonna choose to live my life by what is in this book, by the law of God. I'm going to find out what this says. And we're going to talk about that as one of the disciplines to study him. I'd love to add a cool phrase to that, period. We have to become a people that quits justifying why we want to do what we want to do and goes back to living the scripture. All the fundamental movements we're going to look at beyond this are based on this first movement. We choose the fear of the Lord first and everything else second. A lot of us want to learn how to read our Bibles. We want to learn how to worship really well. And we figure, I'm going to get to where I really will walk in the fear of the Lord. Right now, there's some places in my life that I know he's already said no to, but I'm still doing those because they matter to me. And I'm really not ready to surrender. Can I submit a really hard statement? That's not the fear of the Lord. By choosing that, you are, ref you are letting go of your opportunity to friendship. One of the biggest tragedies that I've watched in the last six months is that some people have chosen their dislike for government over the fear of the Lord. Because Jesus says, obey the law of the land till the day I come. It's a pretty period-based statement. And a lot of us have chosen our opinions in our homes. A lot of us have chosen to treat each other in ways that he would never say is okay because we've decided the fear of the Lord doesn't matter. I promise you, a lack of the fear of the Lord restricts friendship. His passion is to be your friend. The doorway to that friendship is the fear of the Lord. That you and I appropriate a choice that we say this, because of my desire to know him, I'm going to choose to walk in the fear of the Lord. He's not going to have to push me. He's not going to have to remind me. I don't need him to wake me up going, hey, you should do what I asked you to do. I'm going to choose it because my choice to fear him is a living declaration to him, I want to know you. So when it comes to personal choice, we just ask ourselves, what would he do? When it comes to other people, oh, I love this one. This one has been killing me for the last five years. Dr. J put this into my life early. You got you to gotta learn to ask yourself this question, Greg. How has he treated me? And you begin to treat others the way he has treated you. Maybe you're like me and you struggle because, okay, let's choose, I'll choose one of my pet weaknesses. Forgiveness, it's hard. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, will you forgive me? How many are like me and you ask yourself the question? You don't say it out loud necessarily, but the question is, I don't know if you mean it. Anybody like that besides me? You're all liars. 
But how many times have you ever gone to the Lord and have him restrict forgiveness? I'm not forgiving you. You don't mean it. No, it's just this constant pouring out of mercy. He says things like mercy triumphs over judgment, and yet we still believe judgment's more powerful. Because we have yet to learn how to treat others the way he treats us. I understand the magnitude and the difficulty of what I'm saying. I'm just saying to walk in the fear of the Lord means I I begin to prefer his perspective over mine. So in those moments, even though it's like chewing broken glass, the answer in me if I fear the Lord is right now, I'm going to choose what you modeled to me because what I feel isn't of you and I can tell. When it comes to sin, we don't abstain from sin because we don't want to make God mad. We abstain from sin because we're in a covenant relationship and our abstaining from sin is faithfulness to him. And choosing sin instead of him is akin to choosing adultery. It's infidelity. It's us saying, I don't love you. I don't care about what this does to your heart. I want it because I want it. We understand that in the natural realm that that is infidelity. We understand it in finance. If I go to the bank and I deposit some money and the bank takes the money and does what they want with it and never replaces it, it's called theft. Because we were in a trust-based relationship where faithfulness means that's going to be there. That's why the FDIC actually exists. In marriage, we totally get it. We made a covenant to each other, and that covenant says, good or bad, I'm with you and only you. And the moment I would step outside of that, would you agree with me? That's a violation of covenant? Okay, so choosing to not sin is not an issue of legalism. It's not an issue of being heavy-handed. It's an issue of saying, I love him more than I want this. And because of my love for him and what it's going to do to his heart, if I choose something over him, I'm not doing it. Because this intimacy and this friendship matters way too much to me. And that fidelity, that choice to fear him, opens a doorway to know him. Fearing the Lord comes before knowing the Lord. I think some of us believe the more we know God, the more we'll fear him. While that is true, the doorway to knowing him is fear. And he will never put the fear of the Lord on you. You have to put the fear of the Lord on yourself. It is our choice. We make it. And it's a choice I make because he matters to me more than everything else does. And this is the first fundamental move for us to be the people that God's called us to be in our lifetime. We have to be a people that choose to fear him. For us to have the secrets of heaven released to us that he wants to I I wish I had more time to sit down and tell you my journey in business with the Lord has blown my mind how interested he is. When you get in that place where you're just hearing his voice all the time, all of a sudden there's all kinds of stuff that starts opening up that I didn't even know was possible. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. You're like, how is it fair that we get this kind of intel from heaven? That's just you, Greg. No, it's not. It's the invitation according to the scriptures to every man, woman, and child. But the fear of the Lord must be primary. It's first. Stand with me, please.